Not all diabetic eye disease is the same. There is proliferative and non-proliferative disease, and patients may present with or without macular edema. And then there's the possibility that one patient's disease is VEGF-mediated, while another's is not. With all of these factors, it's important to understand which therapeutic options work best for particular patients. I'm Greg Notstein here with Scott Griswanis, and this is New Retina Radio from Retina Today and Bryn Mawr Communications. At this year's AAO meeting, Dr. Nathan Steinle reviewed data from the Boulevard trial, a phase two trial evaluating farisimab in patients with diabetic retinopathy. Farisimab, as he explains, targets both VEGF-A and angiopoietin-2, and it may allow doctors to address two pathways that mediate a disease response. Flirocept has been shown to be effective in treating diabetic eye disease. Researchers want to know more, however, about how it affects a particular group of patients, those with high-risk NPDR without DME. Dr. Rishi Singh parses the 52-week data from the Panorama study, which evaluated a flibercept's effects in approximately 400 patients with high-risk non-proliferative diabetic retinopathy without diabetic macular edema. Stick with New Retina Radio to learn what happened at the AAO annual meeting in San Francisco. We're here to bring it to you. This podcast is brought to you by Genentech Ophthalmology. At Genentech, science is just the beginning of innovation. Together with the ophthalmology community, Genentech is transforming the treatment of retinal disease to give people the vision to live. To learn more, visit gene.com slash ophthalmology. That's G-E-N-E dot com forward slash ophthalmology. Anti-VEGF therapy is effective in patients with diabetic eye disease, and DR severity in patients with or without DME improves following anti-VEGF therapy. But DR is a multifactorial disease, and targeting an additional pathway may provide added benefits to patients who struggle with compliance or have reached a therapeutic response ceiling. At this year's AAO meeting, Dr. Nathan Steinle reviewed data from the Boulevard trial, which evaluated farisimab in patients with diabetic retinopathy. Dr. Steinle is a vitreoretinal surgeon with California Retina Consultants in Santa Barbara. Thanks for joining us, Dr. Steinle. Oh, it's a true pleasure to be here, guys. Thank you. Before we get into a discussion of Boulevard and farisimab and the data therein, we need a biology lesson. Uh, there are a lot of new terms here, some of which might be new to our listeners. There's TIE2, parasite, angiopoietin-2... How do all of these relate to each other and to vascular leakage? Really great question. So what we're looking at with the Boulevard data, we're looking at this new molecule, farisimab, which is a bispecific antibody, and it binds two different domains, one of which is our typical VEGF, but the second is actually ANG2. And ANG2 is part of the ANG2 TIE2 pathway, and what it leads to, it leads to vascular permeability, vascular instability, and overall vascular leakage. And the thought process here is that we've probably reached the limits of how much anti-VEGF we can put in the eye, but now we're looking at other molecules, so it's not just monotherapy in treating a complex disease such as diabetic retinopathy and diabetic macular edema. As I understand it, then, the goal is to limit ANG2 binding to the TIE2 receptor? That's exactly right. That's correct. Now, tell us a little bit about farisimab. 
It's really exciting technology. It's the first bispecific antibody designed for intraocular use. It has two targets on the same antibody. One FAB portion binds to ANG2, and the other FAB portion binds to VEGFA. So within the same molecule, you have bispecificity. And because of that, it actually has dual inhibition independent of binding order. And Boulevard was a phase two study examining how patients with DME responded to fericimab. How was the study designed? Great question. So it's a phase two trial, fairly large, 229 patients, the majority of which were treatment-naive DME patients, and about one-fourth of which were previously treated DME patients. And they had three different arms of treatment, one of which was six milligrams fericimab dose monthly, 1.5 milligrams fericimab dose monthly, and 0.3 milligrams ranibizumab, which is a typical U.S. dose for DME, dose monthly for six months. So all three arms received six, uh, six months of monthly therapy, and they were followed thereafter. This was a phase two trial, which means that we're looking for efficacy. What did you find? Yeah, really exciting results. Um, as far as overall visual acuity gains, there was actually a statistically significant improvement in vision at six months with the six milligram fericimab dose versus our traditional 0.3 milligram dose of ranibizumab. There was also similar and slightly improvement of uh, central retinal thickness with the fericimab arms versus traditional 0.3 milligram ranibizumab. So it seemed to drive better as well. There was a key secondary endpoint involving two-step improvements in diabetic retinopathy severity scores, correct? Absolutely. So that's one of my key parts of my presentation here at AAO is we're looking at this two-step improvement of the diabetic retinopathy severity scale. And this is probably one of the key endpoints we're really going to follow in clinical practice because we know these are tough patients, and we want to try and actually reduce that retinopathy by at least two steps if we possibly can. And what it showed at the six-month mark was a, a significant higher proportion of patients in the 6 milligram fericimab arm had two steps or greater reduction in the DRSS score versus those that got monthly ranibizumab. That's a lot of data. So uh, can you summarize for the podcast audience what this means for patients and what it means for the physicians who treat those patients? You can kind of think of ferizumab as a ranibizumab plus, and I think it's going to be a, a true game changer for the company and for our patients. And what I mean by that is that the data was very promising in Boulevard in that it met its primary endpoint for vision, had superior drying effect, and it also had a, a significant more per, uh, percentage of patients that had two-step or greater reduction in the diabetic retinopathy severity scale. It looks, too, that the 6-milligram dose is what's going to be evaluated in Phase 3. I assume Phase 3 is forthcoming. What can you tell us about it? Scott, you're absolutely correct. They're actually fully <laughs> enrolled. So they have two different very large global clinical trials that were fully enrolled as of September 2019, one of which is called RINE and the other one of which is called Yosemite. Each trial had about 900 patients in each trial, so that's very large global clinical trials. And they had three different arms, one of which was fericimab 6 milligrams every eight weeks versus a flibercept 2 milligrams every eight weeks. And finally, fericimab 6 milligrams on what they call a personalized treatment interval based on disease activity. And these patients can be followed out to one year. And like I said, it's fully enrolled as of September 2019, so look forward to seeing those results at Congresses in the future. Dr. Steinle, thanks for stopping by. Guys, thank you so much for having me. This podcast is supported by Genentech Ophthalmology. Genentech works with the ophthalmology community to advance the understanding of serious eye disease and develop new technologies to transform care. Let's partner in doing more for patients. 
Learn how at gene.com forward slash ophthalmology. That's G-E-N-E dot com forward slash ophthalmology. Some patients present with high-risk non-proliferative diabetic retinopathy without diabetic macular edema. The question is, how do these patients respond to aflibercept? That's exactly the question asked by the investigators of the Panorama study. Dr. Rishi Singh shared the study group's findings during the Retina Subspecialty Day at this year's AAO meeting. Dr. Singh is a staff surgeon at the Cole Eye Institute at the Cleveland Clinic. He is also an associate professor of ophthalmology at the Lerner College of Medicine in Cleveland. Dr. Singh, good to hear from you. Thank you for having me. Give us some background on the Panorama trial. The Panorama study investigated whether aflibercept or uh, anti-VEGF therapy would improve two-step retinopathy scoring over sham-treated patients and what that might have an effect on of the vision-threatening complications and, and center-involving diabetic macroedema that our patients face. The paradigm has shifted over the past couple of years. We've really started to treat patients for both center-involving diabetic macroedema, but as an addition, we also get retinopathy improvements. And the question the study was really trying to ask was, what was the benefit of improving their retinopathy over their final complications and final visual outcomes? And you recruited about 400 patients and placed them into three groups, correct? The patients were recruited and placed into three groups. The first group was a sham-treated arm. The second group was an aflibercept-treated group treated every eight weeks after a loading period. And the third group was an aflibercept group treated every 16 weeks after a loading period. They were followed for 24 weeks where the primary endpoint of the study was determined, and there's additional primary endpoint at week 52 as well for these patients. Can you tell me about what those outcome measures were at 24 weeks and at 52 weeks? The primary outcome at week 24 was to compare those patients who were treated in total with aflibercept in comparison to the sham-treated group with regards to their ability to achieve a two-step improvement in retinopathy scoring. In the 52-week uh, endpoint, they were looking at the individual treatment arms in comparison to the sham-treated group to see if there were any differences in the treatment arms with regards to their ability to achieve this two-step retinopathy scoring improvement. So at first, we're just looking at aflibercept versus sham, and then at one year, we're looking at uh, the two different aflibercept groups compared with sham. That's correct. Uh, was there anything remarkable about the baseline characteristics of the patients in the study? Now, the baseline characteristics are real in line with what we've seen from previous diabetic macular edema studies. Patients were, on average, had diabetes for a period of about 15 years. Their average hemoglobin A1C is around 8%. And they had um, a visual acuity that was normal at 2025, and a retinal thickness is also normal at 250 microns by spectral domain OCT. We were trying to enroll patients here who did not have center-involving diabetic macular edema, but just the evidence of non-proliferative, severe non-proliferative diabetic retinopathy. And in fact, the majority of patients had level 47 diabetic retinopathy severity scoring of showing severe non-proliferative disease. Uh, tell me about what the study group found at 24 weeks when you were just comparing treatment versus sham. So at 24 weeks, they were able to find that the total population of flibercept-treated patients had a significant improvement in two-step retinopathy scoring by about 40 to 50 percent in comparison to the sham-treated patients. So there was a benefit in treating those patients with anti-VEGF therapy and achieving a two-step improvement over a very short period of time at 24 weeks. And then what about at 52 weeks when you compared the individual treatment arms with sham? Yeah, for the individual treatment arms versus sham, they saw a, a slight difference in the two-step improvements. In the uh, eight, every eight-week group, they saw an 80% improvement in two-step scoring versus in the uh, every 16-week group, they saw about a, a 65 to 70% improvement in two-step scoring. I'd say that's a pretty big gap. 
It's a gap that's there. Uh, it's hard to tell what the difference is for the patients. We'll have to learn more about it as the study goes on. Uh, one of the other big findings from the study was that there was a cumulative improvement in diabetic retinopathy severity scoring over time, meaning that the patients sort of gradually continued to improve as the study went on. So maybe by year two, we'll see some normalization of those two rates of uh, two-step improvement in the two arms seen at year two. Uh, really, the results haven't released yet, so we don't have any any idea what that is going to show at this point in time. And just to be clear, in the uh, group that was dosed every 16 weeks, we saw about a 65% improvement. In the group that was dosed every eight weeks, we saw about an 80% improvement. What about the sham group? The sham-treated patients had a very low progression of two-step improvement. Um, they also had about a 40% rate of vision-threatening complications by the end of the study, whereas in the affirmative-step group, you saw a much lower percentage of, of those vision-threatening complications. It was an 80% reduction, actually, in comparison to sham over developing vision-threatening complications from diabetes like vitreous hemorrhage or also center-involving diabetic macroedema, which would require therapy. And when did the researchers start to notice a change? You know, the, the change was noticed really quite early in the study. Actually, the two-step improvement in 50% of the population actually came up in day 85 of the study. So it was really quite early that they noticed this differential and two-step improvement in the populations. And to, just to think about that, 50% were able to achieve that in a very, very short period. That's literally only two or three injections were given, and you saw that a massive improvement in two-step improvement early in the study. Was there a ceiling for improvement? You know, there potentially could be because you had patients with severe non-proliferative disease, so you might have only seen a two-step improvement in these patients. It's really difficult probably to see a, a three-step improvement in this population because of their severe non-proliferative state. As I understand it, there was some imaging data that... Uh led to some information about vascular stability. Can you tell me about that? Yeah, one of the really interesting endpoints of this trial was looking at the vascular stability of patients by looking at fluorescein angiogram leakage. And, you know, one of the concerns retina specialists had was that you sort of make these pictures pretty by reducing the number of hemorrhages or microaneurysms, but are really affecting the underlying retinal vasculature. And what the study was able to look at was a fluorescein angiographic leakage and looked to see that the flibercept groups both had significantly de decreased uh, leakage by reading center endpoints in comparison to the sham treated group, which had no change in the fluorescein leakage during the course of the study. Any safety signals that we should be concerned with? There were no significant safety signals that were different from other clinical trials. Again, the, really the injection process itself is the biggest concern of anything um, that we have in these studies. We have not seen really a lot of safety signals with regards to flibrocept in any clinical trial to date. And what's next? We really want to learn about what the long-term data will show for these patients, and week 100 data is about to be released. But beyond that, I think we really need to follow these patients even longer and see what happens to them. You know, when you take these trials into clinical practice, sometimes it's hard to equate them because these patients might not follow up. They might have issues with cost or the burden of the injections. They might not follow the clinical trial protocol. So really just trying to make sure that we can sort of extrapolate this data to real-life clinical practice will be important to see what that 100-week data shows and what really in real life we can uh, gather from our patients as we start to treat them for this condition. Dr. Singh, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. And that's it for this episode of New Retina Radio. Join us next time we have an episode. And in the meantime, head to iwire.news and retinatoday.com to catch all the latest updates. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, or Stitcher, and leave a review if you like what you heard. And tune in each Wednesday afternoon to iWire TV. Thanks for joining us.